Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds. It's Hello and nets. welcome to the Fish Nerds, the show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, your best friend. And we are cooking along this month with John King, the crappie hippie. Hey, John. Hey, Clay, what's going on? I'm so glad that you are on this national podcast posting month ride with me. This has been crazy. It has been great, crazy. But yes, the crappie hippie is by your side and here to help and here to encourage. And we are having a heck of a lot of fun. You know, what's really great. You've been helpful a lot. And what's really great is, is the listener is, yeah, you guys, the people who are listening to this show have been participating and that's made it really like as easy as I can, as it can be. Well, and it's way more fun. I'm, I'm, there has not been a submission yet that hasn't tickled me. Hasn't made me smile. Hasn't made me nod my head. Hasn't made me uh, commiserate or identify. So let's keep it rolling folks. Just keep sending them in, please. Yeah. We're just crossing the halfway point now. And I've only had to submit two pet peeves. I think I got only one from you so far, John. So that's, that's solid. That is solid. That is solid. If you want to participate, just give us a call, 607-378-FISH. Or go to fishnerds.com, click on the microphone icon, push record, or grab your phone and scroll over to your, your voice memo function, push record, and send that email off to clay at fishnerds.com or to the crappie hippie. Have you got any yet, water, <laughs> crappie hippie at glasswaterangling.com. Have you got any in your email yet? Have not got any in my email yet. So you can make John feel better by uh, email. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. I need some affirmation, folks. So go ahead. Yeah, we work together. So we'll get it all up there for you. And we've got great prizes, John. I haven't talked much about the prizes. Might as well drop them right here at the beginning of the show. What are we giving away? There will be surprises. I tell you what, prize number one is going to be a glasswater angling T-shirt and a um, crappie doodler kit. Mm-hmm. And we can customize that kit for you, put in exactly what you want, or you can just pick one of the one of the kits I have on the site. But there's your fifty dollar prize that is coming for sure. So right now, the pool your odds are great. Send your odds are good. And the so. good news, John, is I'm looking at my desk right now. I've got like seven or eight books that we've reviewed in the last few years that just sit here staring at me. I got the dragon behind the glass. I got why sharks matter. I've got the panther book we talked about. And a few others that I need to get off my desk. So I'm going to take all these books and randomize all the entries for Nation- National Podcast Posting Month, and people will randomly just get these wild books in the mail that we've talked about here on the show. That sounds like a plan. Sounds like an absolute plan. Yeah, and some of these books are unedited proofs. I have lots of mistakes. So if you like, you know, correcting things, you can get your markers out and have some fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, but that's that's all we're going to talk about for National Podcast Posting Month right now because you've gotten buried all month. Uh, we need to talk about a real show. We're doing a full-length episode today. We are doing a full-length episode today, and uh, it's really exciting. It's going to be very science-heavy, folks. So if you're a Fish Nerd Nation member that enjoys that kind of stuff, we're going to be real short on fishing tips and stuff like that, and real long on the fish, fishing and eating fish. We're doing fish today. Right. And keeping with the nerdy fish. theme. All right. So, the so running, running down our... Our table of content today. We're going to start with fishing the news, right? You and know then, we are. And then we've got Doc Martin on the show. I haven't had Doc on in a long time. Too long. Uh, too long. And Doc is always great because 
Doc keeps our science straight for us. We are, John, you and I drift away from like real science quite often. <laughs> we do. <laughs> we oh, do. man. <laughs> you mean doc, uh, a survey you, done yeah, by yeah. Fish Brain isn't going to get published in the, the Ichthyology <laughs> Journal of Legitimacy? Wow. I, I know, but there's something super interesting about that still to me. So I still want to do more homework on that because I find it fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's awesome. Yeah. All right. And uh, and then so Doc Martin's on. We're going to be talking. Boy, I got other stuff here, I'm sure. Uh, oh, well, we've track. got another fine lady coming on this angler. I will introduce her here in a minute. But uh, we have Nicole Stone from Nicole Stone Outdoors. And we are going to talk about does live scope scare fish and a few other things. That's a great question. And for those of us who can't afford live scope, fun to kind of be a voyeur and someone who has that kind of equipment. <laughs> yes, <they> yes. <laughs> Well, you might remember Nicole first came on Fish Nerds, episode 249, mm -hmm. and we talked about what walleye can see in terms of color. And, mm -hmm. uh, she is a um, former atmospheric scientist turned fishing influencer personality outdoor professional, and uh, she's a friend of the pod, and I just had to catch up with her. And when I saw she'd posted this on Instagram, I jumped right on it. So that'll be our featured piece at the end here tonight. Perfect. Lots to do here. So why don't we do this, John? Why don't we jump right in with Fish in the News? I love Fish in the News. I do, too. All right, John. So we're going to start off with a local story. Actually, I actually used this story this morning on my broadcast. I work on the radio, for those who don't know. And this news I broadcast this morning on our local news here in New Hampshire. And it's interesting because interstate fishing regulators are starting to limit the harvest of a primordial species of invertebrate. And that species is what, John? You know? The horseshoe crab. The horseshoe crab, right. And people are harvesting the crab both as bait, I imagine for crab traps or something. I have no idea what, who uses a horseshoe crab for bait, but they're also har harvesting it for biomedical products because the blood of the horseshoe crab is like using all kinds of biomedical stuff. Yes, yes, yes. It's very important in biomedical stuff. And of course, unfortunately, I, I don't know if this is banned. I haven't been out in a, in a tourist shop out your way. Um, it, in any uh near time but uh you got the little dried up ones now I, I, maybe those are the ones that you just pick up off the beach or, or those aren't being harvested fresh are they and dried out or no the little babies yeah the little ones you can just go buy in the tourist yeah. shop you know i've never seen a baby horseshoe crab in a tourist shop but i i, oh, I can visualize yeah. what you're talking about. i've seen them on the beaches yeah um, there's some people pick them up and sell them yeah but i but guess that's okay yeah so the reason they're they're starting to cut these back now the rules new rules are you can only keep males and okay. there's, there's now seasons for them. There's a limited number that you can keep, but they're starting to save them because not because they care about horseshoe crabs. <laughs> Interesting. No one seems to really care about the horseshoe crabs, <laughs> but they care about what? species the horseshoe crabs support. And one of the animals that thrives on horseshoe crabs is the red knot, which is a migratory shoreboard that's listed as an endangered species. Shoreboard? Shorebird. <laughs> Shorebird. Shorebird is like smorgasbord? Yeah, smorgasbord. I've been talking all day. I'm having a hard time. Shorebird. <laughs> Shorebird. And, and it's, and, it, and so I'm like, I've never, I've seen gulls flip a horseshoe crab up and over and eat it. But the, I've seen red knots and I can't imagine them eating horseshoe crabs. They're little tiny birds with sharp, oh. pointy beaks. They run around as the tide waters come in, they run around in the surf and they, 
pick up little clams and things. So I was like, what do they have to do with horseshoe crab? So I did a little homework. This is not in what you've read. And I had to find out what is it about horseshoe crabs that they can eat? What do you think they can eat from a horseshoe crab? Well, I mean, those things do kind of crawl around. I mean, don't they have, I, you know, I, outside of the eggs, uh, boom, I mean, you've nailed it right there. It's the oh, eggs. Okay. It's All totally right. the eggs. They are, they are horseshoe crab egg eaters as their primary forage, which I had no idea. So there it is. So that's why only keeping males now, females need to be released. That makes sense. And that way this little bird can have plenty of crab eggs to eat. There it is. Gotta have them crab eggs. I mean, come on, Red Knot. You know, we're all tied in with the Audubon folks these days and and always been sympathetic to that group because they do great work. But here's another bird mm-hmm. that uh, is is in our wheelhouse as well. And we want to take care of the fish or the crustacean or whatever horseshoe crab amounts to. No one really knows. I know. It's impossible so, to so, know. <laughs> so ancient. Well, they're ancient. They're, they are. They are one of the things they're even, you know, they're further back than Gar or any of the rest of it. I know. Uh, but of course, the red knot, uh, we love our shorebirds and they're, they're, it's an awful challenging time for shorebirds for a lot of reasons. Right. Uh, so one little thing that we can do is that right there. So that's good. Let's uh, do John, it. I'm going to let you do the next story because we're going to take turns today. So you have another story? I do have a story. Clay, you want to live longer? Uh, yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to. As well, I get then, older, the idea of living longer becomes more and more attractive. When I was 20, I was like, you know what? If I make it to 50, I'm winning. Now I'm 50. I'm like, hell no. I need, a, <laughs> I need more. <laughs> that's, that's what, that's what, uh, yeah. Now, and so my goal, crap. John, my goal, John, is to live until I'm a burden on my family and then keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I figured my kids have been a burden now for 16 and 14 years. <laughs> <laughs> they owe me at least 18 by the time they move out. So I get 18 years of being a burden before I'm going to feel bad about it. Okay. Well, yeah. fair enough. They owe me. It's a circle of life, John. It is the circle of yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you caused all my hair to fall out. And now I get to do it to you. I was good looking until I had kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, you you you're trying fifty. I can't wait till you get to try sixty. Because no, thank you. Uh, well, yes, yeah, please. No, not, well, not yet, you're though. saying no, thank you, but you're like, but you know, I hate yeah. aging, but I want to keep doing it, man. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. I, so don't, I don't hate it, John. I like. I like. I like every hey, there, there, there's some good trade-offs. So yeah. um yeah, I'm getting more grandfatherly and less uh, crazy yeah. in terms of uh ambition and anger and all the rest of these sure. these things before. So and John, I can grow hair in all kinds of new places. <laughs> like, <laughs> I got hair coming out of my ears this year. That's new for me. That's new well, for me. Yeah. <laughs> Never had to shave my elbows before. That's new. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> I can't grow hair on my head anymore, but man, my ears produce. Right. So, oh my god! I'm going to make right. ear, ear hair cool. <laughs> you were. I can't. I, this, this is creating mental pictures, and you are totally distracting me from the point here. Okay, right, get to it, John. Get to we it. both want to live longer, and if you want to live longer, study fish because there's there's several fish studies going on with long lived fish, fish with big longevity and, uh, the, the different rockfish species. Like we had, we, I talked about eating one or eating a couple different kinds, uh, with, uh, Laura and Jamie, um, those species are very long lived, but the one that's hot in the news right now. And I think because of, um, the Arizona connection is the big mouth Buffalo. Oh yeah. And- I was reading about them just yesterday. Well, isn't it cool that this study 
from the University of Michigan Duluth is tracking big mouth buffalo around the country, and one of the places is. Track right, yourself. so one of the places, one of the places, <laughs> yeah, no. one back of the places, up a little bit, back up. Okay, yeah, one of up. the places. I'll pause. Yeah, one of the places. Right. I said, like I say, one of the reasons I think it's, this is a real popular thing is because there is a group of scientifically minded anglers at Apache Lake in Arizona, and this is a place where they have been, I think, introduced. Um, but because they're native to the Mississippi drainage, we have them here in Kansas. Um, but, uh, the thing is this fish routinely lives over 100 years and it does not lose vigor mm, like a lobster Very easily. <laughs> oh, even they found these hundred year old specimens that actually still are, um, increasing in their vigor, their, their awareness, their, um, they're, they're saying they're like, um, constantly improving over their young selves you know exactly what that amounts to in a scientific idea uh is is not clear to me but but it's not a thing where they're you know toddling around at 100 years old and barely hanging on there's right, still- well conceptually most animals as we age you know things start to deteriorate and these are ones that yeah. aren't <laughs> they just right. aren't I, I, they're not aging the way that we think of aging exactly you and and i want to know exactly when the decline comes or what you know what do they go downhill fast and all that that wasn't really covered with this, right but, well i mean until recently they thought they only lived about 20 years now they're finding this 100 year old fish and they're like what? right and that yeah. does not experience um i can't say this word it's called senescence did i say that right i probably <laughs> well, you know, it's, you know we talk about senescence and going that's like means sunset or something but you know there's typical symptoms of that in human beings mm-hmm. and just like forgetting your uh, name bill um is uh exactly you know one of those symptoms but first of all we want to talk about buffalo fish is mm-hmm. not a carp it's commonly called a buffalo carp right aren't they the sucker family they are in the sucker family which is oh. just fantastic um and there are three main species or three species known. There is the big mouth, the small mouth, and the black buffalo. And I have actually caught a small mouth buffalo in a creek in Kansas. And it was in full spawn colors, which I did not know these things had a spawning color type was reaction. It, was it beautiful? It, it was gorgeous. I'll, I'll try to remember to post a picture of it on the Fish Nerds Facebook group. But no, they do not belong in invasive fish categories they do not belong in oh let's just kill the hell out of them and throw a bunch of them on the bank categories they need to be they don't spawn very often they don't reproduce like crazy they're uh, long-lived slow-growing fish that deserves protection and deserves to have a category uh with game fish or with you know we we need to actually we just need to dispense with this whole trash fish idea this whole trash fish kill them kill them all approach um and start protecting these fish because you never know when you're going to get a surprise like this you know what i'm saying i do it's funny because I, w- I was thinking about that the other day when i was kind of mulling over pet peeves it's always been a pet peeve of mine to like have a fish being called trash i just never i never set well with me so uh, I think you're right on the money. Incidentally, uh, John, re- you recall the quest I went on with Dave to catch and eat all the freshwater fish in New Hampshire. That was inspired in part by a book about buffalo. Oh, really? 
Yeah, the book was called, I think it was called Eating Buffalo or yeah, it was called Eating Buffalo. And it was all about eating these kind of odd species of fish. Wow. I, I just I have never this has just been on my kind of I just a curiosity list for me, the buffalo. I've never eaten one. I don't um once again, you know, I don't know anything about that aspect of it, but I do appreciate them a lot because one of the things that makes I was called fishing, it was called fishing for buffalo fishing for buffalo that's the name of the book but there's a lot but they did a lot of eating of them in that book so well it sounds it sounds really good it sounds fascinating good read to uh to uh get into i um but i've never eaten one have you ever eaten one i mean i've I, never seen one in real life john i live in on the coast in new hampshire oh, where we have a yeah, very yeah, limited yeah. number of freshwater fishes so yeah well, and and the only reason here I'm I'm down, uh, you know, the only reason these Arizona fellows are into them is because somebody thought it'd be a great idea to put some in Apache Lake in 1918, and there's 90 percent of that original stocking are buffalo fish, 85 years old, and uh, that's amazing. Here's that a, is crazy. So so theoretically, you put these fish in a the lake. They are invasive by definition probably in those lakes how how long does a fish need to be in a body of water before we stop calling it invasive until somebody likes it and decides that it's fun to catch i mean right. we don't when, when we there's don't, economic value we don't call it that anymore exactly it's like uh, nobody calls pheasant invasive because they're fun to hunt they're good to mm -hmm. eat and they're fun to look at and they've adapted here pretty seamlessly so Yep. There's yeah. plenty of people in Kansas that think they've been here all the time. And people get haven't. mad when I call uh, largemouth bass in New Hampshire in base. Yes. <laughs> On I, the other hand, I your neighbors fights. over there. <laughs> <laughs> well, your neighbors over there in Maine, though, are like smallmouth and some places in Maine, like the Kennebec, I think, are almost, you know, they're like, yeah, they're invasive. All right. They're, they're not, you know, they're not overly charmed, charmed with some of these bass. You know? No, no. <laughs> um, but I think one, one reason Apache Lake is so interesting is because now we have a isolated area where, you know, we have these buffalo that have been there and it doesn't sound like they're getting in or, you know, anymore getting in and they're not going anywhere. So you have these, you know, we do this a lot on the show where we talk about isolated fish that are in a little cave somewhere or on a sinkhole in an island somewhere or something like that and uh this kind of opportunity uh was brought to the attention of this university by this group of anglers and it's pretty darn cool it is cool they have that isolated population allows for some really cool study because you know when they got there and there's been no one else coming in so you can really get a good idea of the genetics and the ages and everything about those fishes so it's cool well, this is a great study. I recommend we're going to have the link in the show notes. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Alec Lackman, ichthyologist at Minnesota Duluth University. Uh, there's a picture. He looks like an awful cool guy, fun guy. Uh, maybe I have to get him on the show one of these times. So uh, that'd be fun. Anyway, can you, you tell? I, can you tell? I read that article. Yes, <laughs> I, I almost used it. The article. You're, <laughs> you're, you actually it, yeah. seem to know it even even better than me. But uh, uh, it it's got some great pictures of osteoliths in here. Um, it's got some great information and once again, get on the wagon with the rest of us and help us change the way we think about these species, because with Amen. Dr. Alec out there, Dr. Lackman out there leading the way, we are going to get to where we recognize these Buffalo and treasure them just like we should be treasuring all our animals, whether they're yucky or cool or cute or 
whatever, you know, it, it takes them all to make a world. And uh, thank you, Dr. Alec Lackman, for um, giving us this research and telling us that, hey, maybe the secret to living longer in humans lies in studying these fishes. Oh, well, let's hope so. Let's hope. Uh, speaking of humans, John, how would you like some caviar and a massage? I'll take the massage, but, uh, <laughs> you know, caviar, Gross. it's not even one of those things I'm over curious. You know, I know it's way too rich for my blood anyhow, mm-hmm. uh, for my, my station in life anyhow, but it's just not, not one of them things that, that, uh, um, I ever really went, Oh man, I want to try that someday. There's a lot of fish things that I, I do want to try. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, I'm hellaciously curious, curious about, uh, sea urchins i know that's not a fish but that's a seafood thing now you know how in the hell someone figured Unagi. out how to eat that yeah yeah it's gross how do you, how do you, it is <laughs> it's gross it's disgusting <laughs> you've had it yeah i have it i've had it it's, people love it but i don't so well i, I think that the people i know that have had caviar and then people say well if you didn't like it you didn't have good caviar but Mm-mm. other people politely say it's an acquired taste right and it's a taste <laughs> i don't care to acquire so i used to work in a high-end restaurant and i would serve caviar Oh, and people man. people loved it. They loved it. And I would on occasion put a little on a cracker and think that's a hundred dollar bite of food, and I'd eat it. And uh, yeah. it absolutely hundred dollar bite of hell. It was disgusting. It was just vile. Like <laughs> you almost can't swallow it. It tastes so bad. But people love it. It's been a delicacy for eons. Yeah. And, and what I know about delicacy is it's not always good. It's all about status and and, and stuff. And and do you know how they get caviar from a sturgeon? Uh, yeah. And I knew this before I read the article. Yeah. yeah they, they, they bashed the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they, they cut it open. That's right. They cut it open. And a lot of times they'll do that. And the caviar isn't even edible. So they're killing the fish for nothing. These fish could be a hundred years old. And yeah, and I so, flipped, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. I flipped out when I read that I yeah. flipped the freak out. I, I just, that is so 180 from where I'm at as a human being. Mm-hmm. I, I I understand people want to make money. I understand people you know want to have culinary art. I understand all that, but that ain't right. That ain't no. right. No, it's upsetting. And and it was actually was upsetting to a scientist named Angela Kohler back in 2005. She was at a conference on caviar production where they did a demonstration in the Caspian Sea, and there was 150 people watching this. And the the caviar collectors brought out two mature female sturgeon. Uh, and then the caviar master, this is, this sounds like slavery. The caviar master <laughs> beat, God beat these fish on the head until they were dead. And then they cut the belly open uh, and, and then they opened it up and those eggs were too close to spawning. So they couldn't even use them as caviar. So they just threw the fish back in the ocean and got new fish. That's, that was huh. caviar production for eons. That's how it's been done for generations and generations. Uh, and this Kohler uh, character, this uh, Angela Kohler, was offended by that. Uh, well, she's good an for expert. Her. Yeah, she's an expert well, in environmental toxicology. I'm going to have to cut you off yeah. because this is a pet peeve of mine. And I know it's a pet peeve of yours is that, you know, tradition is not a reason to keep doing something, you know, that's wrong. Oh, John, you know, um, we got reported once for spreading hate towards asian people on this yes show. yes I, you know, because a, i because i yeah. went on i don't i said i don't care where you're from or what your tradition is we need to stop killing whales and i don't care about your tradition i don't care if you're 
you know, if you're from Japan, that's been happening for eons, your family's always done it. I do not care because doing horrible things is still horrible, even if it was tradition. Slavery was tradition. We know to stop that. You know, suppressing women's rights been tradition. We know to stop that. And we could be nicer to animals. So I think it's, but anyway, I got called a hate, <laughs> spreading hate speech. Uh, I got reported uh, for that. I almost lost the podcast. Oh my so, God. I'm yeah. just, you know, I remember that flap and I, yeah. I don't want to make light of it. But anyway, let's get back I, well, to Dr. Kohler. <laughs> I had to jump in there though, because yeah, you're right. You know, when it says, oh, you know, the Caspian Sea and this is the way it's always been done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like enough already. Right. Dr. Kohler has a better way. Let's go. Right. Well, she was there studying um, sturgeon populations uh, because they're looking at chemical pollution. But her, this experience kind of changed her new goal was to like find a way to get caviar without killing the sturgeon. It turns out it ain't that hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not that hard. By the way, have you ever um, stripped a fish of eggs on purpose? I have not, but I know you've you've talked to me about it. Anyway, please proceed. Yeah, so I've done it with salmon, and that's how they do it in the hatcheries of salmon and trout and a lot of other fishes. They take the female fish out and they pick them up. They might sedate them a little bit by putting them in um, water that has carbon dioxide blowing into it to settle them down a little bit, calms them down, give the belly a little rub and then squeeze. And if the eggs are ready, they pop right out. And it's easy. It doesn't hurt the fish at all. The fish recovers in the high oxygen water and it's back to whatever it has to do to be a fish, right? Turns out <laughs> sturgeon's the same thing. It's just as easy. You take the fish out, you give them a little massage and you can tell by how the um, belly feels, how hard it is, uh, if the eggs are ready to come out or not. And they even use CAT scans to confirm this. So now there's a whole new process called the Kohler method for extracting eggs without killing the fish. So it's, it's, by the way, it's, it's simple as that. It's not that big a deal. It's not sure the fish. And that's a huge deal. So it's great. Well, so now, it, now they're starting to really push that everywhere else. And you can buy now no-kill caviar, which is a much better way to do it if you must buy caviar at all. And they formed an organization with some standards on, mm-hmm. you know, you get certified as a no-kill uh, vendor. Um, I love John Ad, John Addy and his son Mark from Yorkshire uh, was selling sturgeon as pets. Mm-hmm. And they got into it. But of the, the three people leading this sort of movement, two of them, uh, the other one being uh, Deborah Keene, uh, no-kill caviar farmer. Farmler. Well, they see if they raise fish, they're farmers. Uh, no, <laughs> but anyway, no-kill caviar farmer from California. Uh, the California Caviar Company is a no-kill company. Two thousand seven. She has a collection of twenty thousand sturgeon. This lady. So we're looking at getting women on board. And all of a sudden, something that seems obvious as hell gets done. What do you know, Clay? Well, you know, maybe women have more empathy than men. You know, we kind of, you know, men are known for if we're being, if we're going to box ourselves into stereotypes, you know, rough, tumble, kill things, rah, rah, rah. So yeah. that's something to do with it. Uh, but it's great. Now they have farms of sturgeon where they're able to get these eggs from, and then they, they produce more eggs year after year. So it becomes way more sustainable. So I'm, I'm a big fan of this, and I just thought it was worth talking about. Plus, I wanted to talk about massaging fish. So mission accomplished, mission accomplished, massage in the fish. Well, I tell you, you know, cause it doesn't, it just seem obvious as heck, especially since you have been in the fishery biologies business and have stripped fish at, is it because we thought it was a good idea and we're too afraid to say something? I mean, I'm sorry, but a new set of eyes, a new set of attitudes coming in on stuff can just freshen things right up, you know? Right. And you know what it happens to all of us, John, we all have, we, we've all done unethical things until someone else came up to us and said, Hey, um, 
maybe the way you're handling that fish is wrong. Or maybe the way you're killing that thing isn't working best for that fish. We can learn. And we hopefully learn. that grows maybe you should empathy. L- so, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, you go say ahead. it again. No, I was just going to say, maybe you shouldn't bite down on that lead split shot. Right. Which I've been you doing since I was a kid. You can see how, how much good it's done clay in me. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's a better way. And don't be afraid to follow a new road, you know? Right. Right on. All right. Well, let's. Why don't we leave the news there? And move let's forward. do it. All right. That was fishing the news. <laughs> Thanks, John. You bet. All right, what's next? I've lost track of my notes. You've lost track of your notes. Well, yeah. coming up right now, hey, everybody, we all been missing Doc Martin. You wonder what's going on? Let's catch up with Doc Martin right now. Hey, Doc Martin, I got Doc Martin in the studio today. And, you know, gosh darn it, I just wanted to get her in here to catch up with her on what she's been doing. I haven't talked to her in so long, and we haven't had her on the show in so long. We all know she's a busy lady doing this and that. She's a mom. She's a professor. She's being concerned and finding out things all the time and and has real lightweight hobbies like physics and learning to play music and so forth to take out what little spare time she has. But I got her right here right now. So, Doc Martin, what's up? How's it going? Um, I do have a, a new hobby. I'm so glad that you brought that up. And actually, it's book day. Book day. I got my new book. Uh, so I'm I'm showing it to you. I know the, the listeners can't see it, but it's Bayesian Models, a Statistical Primer for Ecologists. So um, Bayesian Statistics, it's basically um, conditional probability. So super easy, right? That's a joke for all the statisticians listening. Um, <laughs> And so um, I know about Bayesian statistics, like I understand like theoretically how it works, but I don't use it in program R, which is the software that I use to do statistical analyses. And so um, I petitioned my university administration to allow to help me pay for two courses to become a certified Bayesian statistician. So I'm going to be doing that in the spring and I'm really excited about it. And what else am I doing? I don't know, but I'm already, I hate to interrupt. I'm sorry, but I'm already, I mean, I was just about to say, I learned a new knot, you know, (laughs) so you are doing Bayesian statistics to become a official analyst. Yeah. And and I learned how to tie a new knot. That's pretty cool. Okay. I learned how to tie a knot too. I did that. uh, Gosh, over the summer, I did the master angler education course and i learned how to do knots it's been a so i get i relearned how to do knots i guess i should say at one point in my youth i knew how to do all the knots and then i just haven't done them for a while so i took that really fun course and i learned i relearned how to do some of the knots which was pretty fun (laughs) that is fabulous (laughs) okay i'm sorry to interrupt let's get back to the bayesian so you're going to be an official bayesian analysis that's your next I hope so. Yeah, that one. And then um, I've been working on my riparian restoration project. So that's one of the uh, grants that I got from the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation. And so we are restoring um, a portion. I think it's like a quarter mile stretch of riparian on the Neosho River, which is by my university. And part of that is to look at the stream system. So like total suspended solids and other stuff. But one of the things I put in there was to learn more about diatoms and diatoms are beautiful, single celled, 
uh, little photosynthesizers, um, and they have these silica shells. So if you go and you Google like diatom art or something, you'll see them. And they're centric ones, so they're like circles and wheels or uh, pinnate, which means they're like little banana-shaped things, essentially. Um, and they're really, really cool. And so uh, I have been learning all about diatom taxonomy and identifying those species. And we're putting together um, a light microscopy uh, atlas for the Neosho River. And along with that, we're doing some single cell amplification. So we're putting together like a little gene database, essentially. And I'm hoping that once this gets going uh, and we get uh, our standard protocols and the booklet starts to come together, we'll continue to collect um, single cell diatoms. And I will learn and be trained to use the scanning electron microscope and take uh, scanning electron pictures of diatoms, which I'm very excited to learn. So I'm hoping to do that sometime next year as this kind of builds up. And let's see, what else have I got going on? I just got another grant yesterday approved, which is really exciting. And this is going to be doing some stream monitoring around my area. So we'll, uh, I'm co-advising with a fellow faculty member and we'll be recruiting a new graduate student for this. Um, and since I, it, also the paperwork's not signed, so I have this, but I'm a little tentative to share too many details, but um, I think that should be signed in the next couple of weeks because we're planning on starting in January. So it'll be pretty quick. And then arguably the thing I've been spending most of my time on this summer, I know that Clay knows this, but I, I have not shared too much about it just because it's been... I don't know, so depressing. Um, my university closed our on-site childcare facility. And so I worked with a lot of really great people uh, to create a task force here at the university. And then through that work, I got to work with the city uh, that I live in, their like chamber and some of their schools and other things. Um, and I'm their grant writer. And we have gotten $2.47 million to open a brand new childcare facility in my county. And I've gotten seven grants uh, already just since May. And I'm really, really excited about that. So that's been a lot of my time. <laughs> Holy smokes. That's awesome. I can't believe it. I mean, we're all out to change the world in a positive way but man you sure as heck know what you're doing when it comes to doing that that's great i mean i you know i'm trying to do this green business stuff and i haven't had a grant proposal accepted yet so i don't even know what it's like to have them say yes to you know a hundred dollar bill much less that kind of money but i i, I don't want to seem deprecating but man i am really proud of you doc that is awesome <laughs> to you. take that and just take that bull by the horns and twist it right on down onto the dirt i mean that is uh that <laughs> that's is exactly fantastic. how i feel john <laughs> <laughs> i mean it oh good good well fantastic i'm so happy for you i'm happy it's working out and i'm mostly happy for the kids i'm happy for the moms mm -hmm. and the kids and the families because this is what's important you know we, right. we lose sight of this all too often and and decide to prioritize around this and mm -hmm. boy when you can do an end run around it and just come back with kicking a and taking names well i, I <laughs> well, see the gratification i can see i can see yeah and, and that's the whole thing right is you don't have to do anything it's not it's not my responsibility to do this right it's no one's responsibility to right the wrongs of the world but also i have trouble letting things go john <laughs> I'll tell you, that, you know and and it's just if if they can't do it 
then I'm going to work on figuring it out. You know, I'm only the grant writer, so I want to be very clear on that, right? Like that's a very, very small part of all of. And so I found a group of people that were like, hey, we also want to do this and we're very interested. And so I'm writing the grants, but it's their ideas and it's their work. And it's that's where the the concepts come from. I'm just really happy that, you know, I can use my skills to to help them reach that goal, which is really cool. Well, it is cool. And of course, team building and having people come when you call and say, hey, I agree with you. I want to be on the team too. Well, I just love this kind of a story. Thank you, Doc Martin. <laughs> that is awesome. All right. Anything else? Oh, gosh. Oh, my, uh, my daughter is just well now she's four and three quarters but uh, she doesn't know that yet i haven't told her yet today uh so we've, we've been working on our fractions right and so every month on the 11th then we we talk about what fraction she is as she gets closer to five which is very endearing um and so she is having her first she's in preschool she just started this this fall uh, so it's so cute and she's going to have her first holiday concert at the end of this semester in early December. And I am absolutely over the moon. Um, I'm also worried she's going to be like me. And so um, when I was that age, my older sister loved to do a lot of the performance stuff. So she was in like, she did plays and acting and speech and debate and all of those things. And I enjoy those things, but I don't, I'm not competitive. I don't like to do that on a stage or I love playing soccer, but I don't like the go rah, get them. And I just, it's just not for me. So my parents thought, well, since my sister loved this stuff so much, surely Erica will love this stuff so much. So they put me in, you know, like the preschool acting whatever group preschool through kindergarten that little group and we did pinocchio on the stage which was ended up being mostly like a lot of the adults saying our lines and then we say the lines out loud except the older kids could usually get a few you know what i mean so it was a hot mess but i was one of the puppets and i didn't want to be up there full stop and so i would just like flick other kids costumes as they walked by me I guess like just you know pull on their collar or like flip the puppy sleeve no nothing like dangerous just obviously not a great attitude and so my parents the whole time were just you know covering their eyes with their hands like oh my gosh our daughter's so embarrassing I can't believe that she's doing this so finally the curtain closes and my parents are like let's just get Erica and get the heck out of here and so all of the kids filter to you know uh, uh, off the stage down the stairs but not me i um burst through center stage through the curtains and i, <laughs> I jump off the stage and run to my parents and they were so embarrassed um and i never had to participate in any extracurricular activities that i didn't want to after that <laughs> all right so well i get to find out if my daughter's like me yeah. in a month well i <laughs> look any any CC stories, we're going to have to hear them. This sounds too. I'm already, I'm between tears and, and just bursting with joy here because, of course, it takes me back to my little girl. And I picture you and you were a little girl bursting through the curtain. And uh, she's such a precious thing. But um, yeah, well, perfect, perfect closer <laughs> for this segment, Doc. End wow. up with a, with a CC story. So thank you so much for coming in this morning. Uh, we appreciate thank you, you taking time. Thank you, Doc, for time. having me. Well, anytime, anytime, you know, you're always well. 
I ain't going to tell you you're welcome. You in this mess before me, you know, just, <laughs> that's true. This <laughs> is true to put it the other way around, but, uh, anyhow, I guess doctor, 10 years this year. Yeah, I guess so. So that's uh, what I hear. I've, I've only been around since, uh, 16, but, uh, uh, anyhow, I do appreciate the time. Anytime you take the time with us, we know that we are blessed. Thank you, you John. We'll talk to you soon. All righty. This has been crappie hippie talking to doc Martin, the one and only tight lines and Valentine. Peace out. All right. Well, as promised, I've got a guest for y'all, and we're going to talk about something that tends to get some people's back up one way or the other. It's called LiveScope, and it's the most powerful uh, sonar you can get to map out the bottom, find, you know, find fish, quote unquote. You can spend um, hours on the YouTube looking at these things. They're amazing. They are amazing, but and they are, you know, an attempt to make a sonic uh, pulse powerful enough it can kind of uh, convert things in then into a image so like it's you know well i don't want to talk about what nicole's going to say no, she's going to have she is very articulate very reasonable very insightful person uh, very glad to have her on our side of this give it a listen right now <laughs> Hey, Fish Nerd Nation, this is Crappie Hippie, and I am so excited because in Glasswater Studios this morning, I have a lady fisher that is absolutely fantastic, fun to follow on Instagram. She is one of the greatest walleye fishers you'll ever come across. She's a fabulous ice fisher. Um, she also does some outdoor writing. She does some science writing. She's a mom, which is just a fantastic job unto itself. She runs her own business, and she is a rising star in the world of outdoor influencing everybody please give a warm welcome to my guest this morning nicole stone from nicole stone outdoors how are you doing nicole i'm great thank you for the great intro that was perfect <laughs> thank you very much now we're here this morning because we're just going to jaw like a couple of fishers about something that a lot of people are interested in. A lot of people are having a, a, a bit of a argument about it, a bit of argument about it. We're going to talk about live scope and whether it affects fish or how it affects fish or if it even does affect fish. But before we get into talking live scope, let's talk about the important stuff. Let's talk about the good stuff. Let's talk about the stuff that matters. You're a mom now. I am. Yes. So um, it's been quite the... I feel like it's been about almost two years now between pregnancy and having a baby where life kind of got flipped upside down and I was really rolling high in 2021 and then I got pregnant it was a super rough pregnancy I was kind of open about that online like I'm not fishing much I uh, was throwing up for the first half of the pregnancy and then just had other things going on and just it was just a lot like getting pregnant is a lot and then um had the, had Savannah, my daughter, which is the best thing in the world. Like it's what I never, like I never knew it's what I wanted, you know. And now I love it. It's the best part of my life. But it is a transition. I mean, me and my husband have been married for oh god, eight years. I think it's eight years now. Well, we've been together forever, and uh, we just always kind of live the the 
couple's life without kids and then we had a kid and it's been definitely the best thing in the world but also so much respect for moms out there and dads too because like it is definitely a change of life i mean it is priorities change immediately you know what i mean absolutely absolutely well i'm just couldn't be more happy for you it's a, a wonderful thing to see and yeah that first one tends to be the the rough one the, in pregnancy wise yeah well i remember i'm following you along i don't get on instagram that much but uh you pop up in my feed all the time so okay. uh you know our algorithms must match somehow but uh anyway well i just want the listeners to be able to hear that because last time we talked to you you were flying high as a big up-and-comer and we talked about walleye what walleye could see in terms of color because you had written an article about that Mm -hmm. and that was such a great conversation i don't think we're going to go super deep on this one right now but let's talk about live scope a little bit first of all live scope explain to the listeners briefly what is live scope so live scope in the most simplest form is just being able to see fish in real time so like all of the technology up to this point there is a delay right it's just showing you an image and it's delayed. It's it's after it detects it, you're seeing the image on your screen. That's a delay. Real time allows you to, it's almost like a camera, but it's it's not. And it's all it's doing is using those frequencies to essentially give you the reaction of the fish as it's happening. So it's the closest thing to a camera with way higher capabilities. So like people with, even on with a camera, you're seeing the actual fish, but you can't see very far. You can't do much with it. They either come up to your bait or they don't. And that's kind of the extent of how you use a camera. LiveScope is taking all this sonar technology and giving you the ability to see exactly how that fish behaves, but you can see how that fish behave, is behaving 40 feet out. And they can tell you a whole lot about fishing. And, and LiveScope has a few different modes. I think people forget that. LiveScope has forward-facing mode, which is probably the most popular. Everyone calls it forward-facing sonar, which is essentially you're shooting like a 20-degree beam at a certain at a fish or at an object or whatever. Um, and it can shoot and it can see a really good image out to 80 feet, in my opinion. It depends on the water conditions. It depends on things like that. But I mean, most people can use it out to 80 feet with some confidence, at least finding cribs or something like that. I use it very, very frequently at 40 to 50 feet for what I do. So that's forward. It also has a down where you're you're able to shoot that beam down. So like think traditional ice fishing flasher mode, except in live, like real time. So in deeper water shooting down, you and your buddy can sit there and just see what's happening directly underneath you instead of shooting forward. And then there's perspective mode, which is the third one most people don't think about, which is a little bit, it's not something I play around with much. I've only ever had it shown to me twice. I don't personally use it, but it's just like putting the deucer on the side and showing you a crazy image of all the structure out from the transducer. And so it's just, it's got all these different complexities you don't get with traditional sonar, but the biggest factor truly being that it's all in real time. So you can see exactly how that fish is behaving as you are moving your lure or, you know, as you are in your boat trying to determine, you know, where that fish is going or what structure it's sitting on. You can see what it's doing while it's there. And if it's worth your time, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And so we're basically talking like a more powerful, faster type beam because we're basically using sound energy rather than light to create these images, correct? Yes, yes. Now, I'm going to gloss over this real quick. Obviously, you're fine with using LiveScope. I'm fine with people using LiveScope. I remember when the first flasher units came out, or I was a young, young, young man, a young child, actually. Uh, but when I was old enough to read and to soak up what was in the outdoor magazines and the digests and stuff, uh, I, did, I 
did not realize how uh, people were really all up in arms, you know, when flashers came out. Oh, and they called them fish finders back in those days and how it was going to ruin everything. And I see people land on all different areas. Some people totally against live scope. Other people say, hey, it's inevitable march technology. Other people say, hey, what's the difference? As long as the fishing is ethical, you're making, you're just, once again, it's another technology that compresses the amount of time it takes for me to get into some fish. Uh, you want to make a comment about how you feel about live scope, Nicole? I mean, I definitely think it's a gray area. I will definitely, I'm on both camps. So like it isn't going anywhere overall between the entire population. I don't know how much the outdoors has gained. We had that big jump in the 2020, um, everything shut down, more people got in the outdoors. I, I don't know if that is what is going to be consistent in the future. So I don't, so the reason that's important is I don't think many conservation offices, decision makers in that department, policymakers are going to ever look at this and be like, you can't use it anymore because if it helps more people catch fish, we're going to have more people being in the outdoors, more income generated, more money for conservation. Okay. So like, that's my attitude towards like, yeah, you can say ban it. I don't think they're ever going to do it because I don't, if it's helping people get outdoors, I don't think they want to deter people from doing that because we we haven't had a growing population of outdoors people before the pandemic. And we need to make sure we are increasing our participation going forward to help conservation for funding. It's good for families. You know, you guys know the spiel. So like, it's not going anywhere. So we might as well figure out how we can use it ethically. Do I think it impacts fish populations? 100%. So it doesn't always make fish bite. I'll be the first person to tell you I got live scope. But I might find more fish. Doesn't mean I'm always catching more fish. I've got, I have a YouTube video out there right now where you watch all these walleye come up and look at our baits and leaves. So like, it doesn't necessarily help you catch more fish all the time. Where I do find it can be detrimental is particularly in the panfish communities. When you find big schools of crappie, and they can't hide from you anymore and you can stay on them all day long and you and your 20 buddies are taking limits, that's a problem. And I think that is going to be a problem for the panfish populations everywhere as this continues to become more common, as it's more affordable, more well-known, people are using it more. It's going to do some, it's going to do some damage to our fish populations. But that's where I think the policymakers need to step in and be like, okay, let's cut back panfish limits. Let's you know, limit certain things going on at lakes. Let's maybe limit them in, in these big tournaments. Like when you're having a big tournament on a, on a lake and they can't hide, they literally can't hide anymore and everyone can beat them up, you know? So like, I think that's where the policymakers need to step in and make sure that it stays under control. And we've got some new regulations to protect these fish, but it's not going anywhere. So people might as well enjoy it, use it and get fishing. Well, that is a great, well-reasoned, logical outlook on the whole situation i couldn't have said it better myself and just like we have had to uh, you know kansas used to be catch all the crop you want no problem and now you you can't and and they do it lake by lake and right the lake by me hillsdale is serving a population of two million people so it's got pretty you know you only take 20 crappie out of there and they, they're talking about taking it down to 10 if if the yeah. harvest keeps going the way it's going so I hear you loud and clear. I think you have a well-reasoned approach to the whole thing. And uh, I am in the same boat, basically, with some reservations, sure. But uh, once again, if if the regs are where they ought to be, the ethic is where it ought to be, I think we're going to do okay. But we're not going to talk about that today in any sort of detail. And we're certainly not going to get heated about it or anything like that because... <laughs> 
this is the fish nerds. And you said something super nerdy the other day on Instagram that just grabbed my attention. And I just had to get you on the show because you said that you tended to think, especially I think in terms of crappie, but you tended to see fish shy away from that beam every now and then. Talk about what your observations amount to. Yes. So definitely observations. I've never done a controlled study and I haven't been able to put the time into really deep diving into the science. And if anyone's put effort into this, this is a tough thing for someone to test. Obviously, you'd have to have a very large controlled environment for this to really be for someone to be like, I know the science. I know what happens. Right. But I can tell you as an angler who fishes all the time and has used Garmin Live Scope for over two years now, there are times and I'm a, I'm a trophy fisherman and I'm a big time pan fisherman. And there are times when I definitely believe in down mode, or if the fish are really close to the transducer in forward mode, that they shy away. I know the argument is when you're shooting in forward mode, if the fish is 30 feet away, 40 feet away, it could have been, you know, that's a short beam still. That fish could be going somewhere and you just can't tell that it was going there. And you would have never known that fish was there anyways without it. Okay. That's the argument I get. I'm just going to mention that right out of the gate because everyone is always telling me that. Here's the thing. When it comes to crappie and panfish, I have fished with enough people at enough times on the same basin where, and I've held my, I've had my own little tiny studies with myself, which I know is anecdotal to some degree, but there are times when those fish will avoid that signal. They will come in and they will leave. And I have had it where I have found the fish in these basins in the spring, especially, and I've got six, seven anglers with me. And I can tell them where they're at. I'll set up with the garment near them using it as my main unit. And they're all catching fish and I cannot. And I know you can say, oh, when you see the fish come in and leave, they might have done that anyway. But no, they wouldn't have. Like, I can promise you that. <laughs> like, that is, they're roaming this basin. I can catch fish all day long. And there have been time and time and time again where I've had to shut off that unit, dig out my old Markham digital sonar. And just sit out there with all my friends that are using traditional flashers to catch them. And it is the only way because for some reason, certain times of the year, certain species, they just don't like the noise coming out of that system. Well, I just, first of all, that's probably the most compelling research I've been able to find. I know, it's not, you know, and like our, 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 you know, Doc Martin, our, our, the professor of freshwater ecology at Emporia State University and our uh, freshwater ecologist Amy, these people that have done a lot of controlled experiments are like, hey guys, questioning the value. However, I, I tell them that the observation of the person out there doing it uh, does have value. And, and, and they agree because this is the thing. You've seen it and you've compared it to people around you and you've switched technologies and seen a result. So that is fascinating to me. Now, there's, there's, there's things that I want to know where you're coming from. First of all, when we're talking about a signal, we're talking about Hertz, which is the, the speed of the, between the, the audio pulses, this vibration, whatever you, however you want to describe it. And then of course, decibels, which is the, the, the loudness, the actual loudness of something, the amount of audio force that is there. Now people say fish can only hear, oh, 800 to a thousand Hertz, but we can't say that because there's so many different fish and they've all adapted in so many right. ways. I mean, a goldfish, for example, can hear up to 4,000 hertz. Secondly, fish have other modes of perception that we do not share. We do not have a chemically sensitive lateral line. Uh, we do not have sort of electromagnetic perception. Where is it at for you? Because people, when they argue this on the blogs and stuff, what I was reading is, oh, they can't hear the pinging of the transducer. 
or they can't pick up that that actual signal because they can't physically hear it. But I'm wondering, do you feel like they do they hear it? Do they perceive it? What what do you think is going on there? Yes, I do think they perceive it. I do think, I mean, whether they hear it or perceive it, I don't know. Again, like you said, I don't know. I don't, there's not enough real research about game fish out there anyways, unless there's, you know, most research is involving population declines and stuff like that. There's not really a ton of research on any of it. Like even figuring out the color stuff was difficult because it's just obviously not where their priorities lie. But from what I would gather from watching fish and from the little bit we know, like they feel things down there that we can't even, I mean, they have their lateral line. So there's no way these machines and like the live scope technology from any of the manufacturers have the strongest signal of all of them in the sense that I believe it's multiple beams. Don't quote me. We'll have another session and I can go through the details, but it's, it's like multiple transducer beams in one blasting at these fish. So then you're like, okay, why does sometimes does it not affect fishing? And sometimes it does. Well, there are times when fish are so aggressive, you can put anything down there and they come up and hit it. They can feel that vibration from you moving your spoon. Like, and they're all for it. And there's other times, as I'm sure you've experienced as an angler, there's nothing you can do to have them. They spook by everything. Everything <laughs> you're doing, they spook. They leave. You can't do anything right. And like, I feel like that same pattern is why sometimes it can be very detrimental to fishing, like in the sense that if your fish are literally avoiding it because they're not aggressive, they're just very not aggressive. I don't know how else to explain it. It's a tough day of fishing and you put the live scope in there and they'll t- it'll tell you where the fish is at. But my gosh, it sure seems to affect how they behave. Like they don't want the noise. They don't want the disturbance. And so they avoid. And I, like I said, time and time again, live this live imaging is not the same as our trans, our traditional transducers. That downward movement, like that regular single beam stuff we have with the traditional Vexlar is not anywhere near the technology of a live scope. So that live scope is coming at you with so much more noise that it, it does affect them. That's my opinion. Like if that makes sense. And like, again, this is all just me with my experience of fishing, the times it makes it, it's tough when fishing's tough Putting that beam on these fish make it even more challenging. Like it really does. So it, it makes you find them easier. It's more it's more challenging to get them to come in. Because I can still see them 60, 60 feet out there, but they're not going to come into my under my beam. If I'm in down, they'll go around it and all my buddies with their FLX 12s are out there slaying. It's just different. Well, that's just it. You do have the comparison, which which is exciting to me. Yeah, the live scope, it's what 530 to 1100 kilohertz so what is that 110,000 hertz or a million anyway i can't do the math i'm not smart enough to do that in my head and and uh i don't want to get out my phone the frequency comparison right between that and like a traditional vexlar which i think like a traditional vexlar is like i don't really i can't remember like hummingbird i think is like 600 and 200 i want to say a traditional for like their main sonar like I want to say down imaging 2D. And then the frequency range of a of an FLX 30 is like 160 kilohertz to 300 kilohertz. Like that's way lower frequency than a Garmin line scope. Yes, yes, way lower, way lower. And it's way more powerful. So the, the chances that a fish can somehow perceive this, I think, is is way up there. Uh, once again, I'm going to give you award the award for having the most intelligent take on this that I've found. And I am not just trying to get on your good side i promise okay but i want to tell you about some stuff I, I came across first of all i came across this one guy that that put a regular just a regular locator transducer on his 
fish tank. And I'm going to put the link to that in the show notes. And I'm going to leave it up to you, fair listener, to look at that and see if you see the same reactions I saw. I'm sorry, Nicole, you can be honest with me. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I'm sure you're not going to hurt your husband's feelings. But aren't you surprised sometimes that men have survived at all? Because we're not known for doing the smartest stuff. You know what I mean? Sometimes I do feel that way. Yeah. Like, why, why did you think that's a good idea? I'd say that to my husband a lot. Yeah. Like the guy that was in this one blog that said, I put my transducer up to my ear and turned it on and I couldn't hear anything except for the pinging. And then I, I turned it up and all of a sudden it was like someone had shot an arrow into my brain. Oh, oh man. I did that. <laughs> Because I'm, I'm never going to do that. that again. I'm just like, that could not have been good for you, man. No, that's terrible. Like, oh. <laughs> terrible. The point it's is, the though. It. He did. <laughs> I with the internet. <laughs> and it just, he goes, guess I should have been underwater. I'm just like, I think, you know, just don't pursue this anymore, ever in any form. But what it does demonstrate is, yeah, there's some energy coming off of there. And uh, I'm glad he didn't do it with live scope because that he probably would, wouldn't have been able to communicate after that. But we've got a lot of questions to answer. And tell you what, would you be willing to come on back and let us get into this a little more so we can have our megahertz and kilohertz and this and that kind of a little more precise, a little more of this and that. Continue to do the research on your own. Pull some of the people that, that have been with you when this phenomenon occurred. But would you come back and either oh i don't know december january sometime like that and we'll we'll do a deeper dive on this how does that sound i would love that i definitely want to do another in-depth blog kind of like i did with the color vision uh walleye article and just really dig into research that could back my way of thinking and many others and then we can break it apart like scientists love to do just rip it to shreds and see where we can find the gaps and figure out the new answers how about that Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. Okay, Nicole, tell the listeners once again all about you, where they can find you, about your business, about your websites, about your social media. Give us the whole story real quick. Well, you guys can find me as Nicole Stone Outdoors. I'm everywhere. YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, X. So be sure to follow me on any of your favorite platforms. I have a website, Nicole Stone Outdoors, which is kind of the face of a lot of the fishing stuff I do. You can check out my favorite products by obviously purchasing some of the products I work for you are helping me make more content and do things like this and you can also find me at nicolestone.com where I have a personal blog on tips and stuff like that we also do websites I love building websites with my the girl that works with me so yeah all these options reach out for any of them and I mean get on that Instagram folks you want to see a person holding up some wonderful walleye pictures some wonderful ice fishing pictures and every now and then she runs on out to Idaho and her and Anna go out on that crazy perch lake up there I can't remember what the heck the name of it is but you'll see them together and that's awful fun too all right well nicole thank you one last time for coming on the show this morning and i appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule to talk to us today and we will get back with you soon sounds great looking forward to rehashing this out in another month or so No holds barred. I mean, I mean, she takes the problem on. Mm -hmm. She says, you know, live scope can be a problem with fish populations. Live scope does have things that concern her um, uh, on all different levels. Uh, but she makes some excellent points. Uh, she, she's certainly not going to quit using it. Uh, she is. It'd be hard to quit using a tool like that. <laughs> well, but you know, I, just to let her off the hook a little bit. Uh, not that she needs to be let off the hook, but she has a very scientific mind. 
And for her, a lot of it's observation. And for her to bring up this thing, hey, this signal is so much more powerful. And I know, you know, Doc's, I don't think Doc's rolling her eyes on this one because the impetus for studies and the impetus to examine things a lot of times comes from us, quote unquote, ordinary people saying, hey, do you see that? Why the hell does that keep happening? And somebody that has, you know, and, and you know, a scientific mind says, well, we'll set up an experiment to, to see why. And Nicole Stone knows how to set up those experiments. And she talks about controlled experiments. But to have her sit in the middle of a whole group of ice fishers and she's put them on the fish, she's like, okay, I found them set up around me and start fishing. And then she has to switch to her Vexlar just to get a bite. I think that tells you something. It is telling. And it's surprising too. Like I find that shocking. So I'm really it, is shocking. it is shocking. Yeah. And I'm so glad she agreed to come back. We're going to come back probably after the first of the year sometime, because, you know, I, I'd, I'd kind of, you know, I'd, I'd urge her a little bit to do this because she's like, well, I don't have the data. I don't have this and that. Mm-hmm. I said, Nicole, we're just kind of doing a, you know, a little teaser then we'll just have you talk about what you've seen, what you've experienced. But I was very intrigued by that Instagram post. And when she said, Hey, I've seen fish shy away from this signal. And I said, well, I need to know more about this. So thank you, Nicole stone for coming on tonight or this morning or whenever we're whenever listening. (laughs) Yeah. Whenever you're listening, whenever we recorded it, but uh, we thank you for coming on. And I've just thanked Nicole stone. Who else we need to thank clay. Well, before we do that, I want to give a teaser because next week we've got actually a big interview. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and I thought maybe we ought to talk about that a little bit. Well, you were talking about books we have laying around, and I have a book laying around I just got from my favorite outdoor writer of all time. I'm about to scream like a little girl (laughs) at a Justin Timberlake contest. contest. Justin Timberlake concert. Wait, he's he's not relevant anymore at a... Bieber concert. Oh, he's not relevant no, anymore. No. Anyway, whoever's relevant, I'm about to scream <laughs> at a Taylor Swift concert. There we go. There you and, go. And uh, it's John Gearock. We're gonna have John Gearock on the show for the third time. For the third time. That's right. I got the I got the new book as well, and I started reading it. So I'm looking forward to chatting with him next week about that new book. And we'll also probably ply him for some pet peeves while we got him because I'd love to hear his rants. Oh, you know, I've read enough of them to know he's got them. Of course he does. <laughs> so, but yeah, Fish Nerd's still relevant with the John Gearock crew. <laughs> Absolutely. When so I contacted little... Simon and Schuster, they're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. John knows you guys. Let's go. Yeah. Easy. Easy. Because he's already been on. He knows what to expect. He's fun. <laughs> he gets it. He knows he... what to expect, and he still wants to come on. Come no, on now. John. John, we've had so many writers, like <laughs> like big, big name writers on this show. Yes, we uh, have. It's because we 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 like it. <laughs> We're nerds. What are you gonna do? All right. So now we can go thanks. Move on with it. Let's end this show, John. Let's end the show. Okay. We'd like to thank Wally Pleasant, who did our show theme. Of course, Diana's Bath Salts that does our fish in the news. We'd like to give a big thanks to Doc Martin because we love her so. And anytime we hear from her, it is a good day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most of all, we want to thank you, our listener, for bringing your ears right on in here and letting them. But most of all, we want to thank you, the listener, for bringing your ears right on in here and letting us fill them up with some good fish science stuff this episode. So, Right. Very well. Until next time, John, follow the code the- of the fish nerds. All right. You do it. Here we I'm go. I'm doing it. I did it. Now you do the next one. What? <laughs> I, I talked what- over you the whole way. <laughs> All right.
I love the end of our shows. It's the only never the take a free. We should practice. <laughs> <laughs> well, Russia anyway, again? No. It is, <laughs> you guys know the know the thing. Spawn early and often. Never take a free lunch with strings attached. And swim against the current every chance you get. Talk against John any chance you get. Talk over John <laughs> whenever you can. Fish nerds, we're done. <laughs> Woo-hoo, we're hmm. out of here. I don't know how we do this, John. We get through it. <laughs> Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds. It's a podcast. Just for the halibut. Fry it in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds, fish nerds. Fish Nerds, it's a podcast.